0: Blessings and best wishes, Reggie Hubbard here, Practice Makes Purpose, episode seven. Can you believe that's Seven. So welcome to the summer series that is having conscious conversations uh, with leading figures in the diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility space. So delighted to have you here. And whether you join us now or whether you view this on later on Instagram or you hear it later on Spotify or those sorts of things, we're just delighted to have you in the conversation, right? So we're in a pivotal period in many aspects in our society especially in the wellness space and i for one just to be explicit i mean i think you i mean if my sweatshirt doesn't tell you where i'm at in life these days it'll tell you it's like be you they'll adjust um i for one am not going to go back to the old norms they never worked for people right like they never worked for um, people who look like me whether you're talking about like gender or racial identity or size um But up until now, what we've been talking about um, in terms of diversity and inclusion has only been with respect to microcosms. So I'm excited to have Brother Giovanna Heyman here to talk about diversity and inclusion writ large. So, Giovanna, welcome. Hi, Reggie. Happy to meet you, finally. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Um, I'm looking at myself. I'm not normally vain. I'm getting older, so like, I'm getting like I'm finally becoming the gray beard in life, and so I'm just kind of like, wow. Yeah, me
1: too. <laughs> you see.
0: I'm older than you, I'm afraid. I was like, when did this happen? I'm happy I'm here, you know. It's a certain psychological process. You're like, uh, whoa. Okay, I guess I have some wisdom now to hopefully share with people, but. <laughs> Happy to have you um, and happy to welcome you here. As I was saying, we have been talking for the past six weeks about d- diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility in microcosm. So what mm. I'm excited to do today is talk about it in macrocosm. So first of all, I'm excited also to be coming to the conference in October where we can have real conversations yeah. about how it's yoga for all, not yeah. just the wealthy and the skinny and the mono yeah. food and those sorts of things. But Tell me a little bit, of, tell me and tell us, I know a little bit about you, but for those of us okay.
1: morning, tell us a little bit about you, your yoga journey, and then we'll just dive into this. Okay, well, I'm also grateful that you'll be a keynote speaker at our conference, the Accessible Yoga Conference online in October, and um, people can check out Accessible Yoga to find out more about that. But my journey, I mean, there's a long story, but I'll just say, I'll just say that, you know, I came out of the closet as a gay man in the 80s. Actually, I came out in uh, 1984, and um, I told you I'm older than you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but the thing is about the 80s, well, that time in the 80s, is that that was right in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. And so I came out in the middle of absolute chaos. You know, just everyone I was meeting, my, my kind of new family, my friends, the the men I was dating were dying. Mm -hmm. And it was just completely overwhelming. And I had been using yoga myself already, just as self-care. And it just became clear to me that um, over time that I wanted to share the practice with my community. It took a while to get there. I was an age activist for many years with ACT UP. I don't know if you know ACT UP, but it was a direct action group. And we would, you know, protest and march and get arrested and do some wacky stuff. (laughs) But then, like, you know, as I got more into yoga, I started realizing there's another way. Mm-hmm. And it was just amazing to me to get into yoga and see, first of all, the parallels between what I was seeking through so- social justice and what I saw in yoga philosophy, mm-hmm. um, which is quite powerful and something I'm really passionate about. But I, anyway, my work with Accessible Yoga and the organization really came out of my desire to share yoga with my community. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I appreciate that. And D, um, I mean, I think, you know, I, I come from, uh, I'm the activist turned teacher as well. I know. Most recently I worked for Move yeah. On, a professional affairs liaison in the Trump era. I know, it's amazing. Thank Used you. yoga to basically keep me from tripping on people because it was a pretty interesting yeah. in our society, but also was able to cultivate, and I'm sure you had a similar experience, cultivate levels of peace in ridiculous circumstances that kind of transcended com- common sense, right? So yeah. I was one of the lead strategists for impeachment, not to get super political, but I would walk into these strategy meetings with like Afro out, prayer beads out, just mellow. And people were just like, how are you so cool? I was like, yeah. I ate daily, like I practice yeah. physical practice often. And use that piece to bring clarity to a situation, because if we make a misstep, not only will we look bad, but the people that we serve will not be adequately served so i didn't go to Bali to get my yoga teacher training no. I did my teacher training while flipping the house and all these other things, so
1: they're amazing
0: activist streak um, that ain 't going. Yeah. There.
1: I thank you. That's incredible. Your work is amazing. And I I just love that you're doing both, you know? Because like I said, they're they're so connected. They're so related. And I'm so tired of the kind of, I don't know what it is, like the myopic way we look at yoga. Yeah. You know? Yeah, when people
0: say yoga is not political, I was like, I have party affiliation. However, it does have, um, last time I checked, whether you be yogic and or Buddhist, I consider
1: myself both. Um, to alleviate suffering in the world. That is a political act. Exactly. Exactly. If you want if you want to be a yoga, a yoga practitioner, you have to care about other people. It's not about selfishness. I think that's what we get lost in. We think it's all about turning inward and just finding peace in yourself. And that's half the story. But the other half is then acting that way in the world and helping to relieve suffering around you. And I, I just feel like we're only giving people half the, half the story when we talk about it just as this internal movement. It right. has to be the the second part. How do you move in the world? What do you do? You know, uh-huh. once you find peace, once you feel a little bit better and have a little energy, what do you do with that? Because right. if you don't turn it towards service and reducing suffering, then you're actually making a bigger mess of your life and yourself. You're actually, you're, you're harming yourself in a way. That's what I think people don't see, you know? Uh-huh. There's been interesting research about um, the psychology of meditation and all that, and how it can actually increase your ego. And I think what's happening in those studies, I don't know if you've seen them, but it's like, it's people who aren't taking that step into service. So I would say, you know, to me, yoga in life is service. You, you, you know, like you're doing, just speaking out, trying to reduce suffering around you. Um, it's not just reduce suffering in yourself. Anyway, yep. so I, I would just say that, um, you know, for me, it wasn't that I was, I wasn't as clear as you back then. I was young and confused, but what I was doing was I, I was struggling with grief. I mean, I just had death, illness and death surrounding me. And um, actually my best friend died of AIDS in 1995. Mm -hmm. And he was just such an incredible guy and such a like my mentor in my life, like taught me everything. And, and that was the same year that I had finally decided to become a yoga teacher. And so Yeah, it was clear to me like uh, you know if I'm going to teach I just want to share yoga with people who 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 are really struggling and see if they could benefit from these practices as well and it was clear at that time it was people with HIV and AIDS and so that's what I did for well forever honestly but I spent you know 15-20 years in San Francisco teaching yoga for people with HIV and AIDS and then that's how accessible yoga was born and I felt like just teaching people yoga wasn't enough. I wanted to actually give people access to the fullness of the practice, and I felt like that happened mostly in teacher training. Right. And so Accessible Yoga as an organization started because I wanted to get people with disabilities and mostly people with HIV and AIDS to take teacher training. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that was the first step, you know, because I, I just – I love teacher training and I just found it to be such a great way into the teachings and you know it's not it's great to go to yoga classes but when you really study it and you read the philosophy and you and you start to live it in a in a more holistic way it feels different and um, so accessible yoga started that way and then some of those people in those in that in those groups those cohorts that I ran formed a nonprofit and and that's what we still have today and then we kind of took a big leap in 2015 and started offering conferences. So the Accessible Yoga Conference, were, they were in-person events. We would move it all over the world actually um, over the last like five years. And then COVID last year we went online and actually it's been, it's been even better for us because we can reach more people and it's more accessible. So online teaching can be a lot more accessible for people, not always, but often. Uh, it can be less expensive, it can, be, uh, it can fit into busy life. It means you don't have to travel often, which can be challenging. So moving our conference online has been amazing. And we're doing lots of other um, online programming now to the nonprofit um, that I'm really excited about. And, And, of course, I also teach people how to make yoga accessible, too, in terms of how to adapt the practice. But to me, that's really like a secondary step. I think first you have to understand the message that we already shared, which is just getting the fullness of the practice and seeing how, what it really means to live that. It's not something you're just doing for yourself. That's kind of the main message that I try to share. Right, now I appreciate that. I mean, two things I'll say before
0: we continue is that, my, and you know this, most people who know this, they know by now, like my teaching practice is called active peace for that reason, right? So once I got to a level of internal peace, I was like, yo, I gotta give this away. You know what I mean? Like, like, so Mm -hmm. take that peace and give it away in service to your community. So that's where active peace came from. And uh, that I mean, I'm just gonna, so when I sent you the stuff yesterday to, to hype up the um, to hype up the hit, and then you showed me, so I'll just, I'll bow to you teacher, like you showed me accessibility in a way that I didn't even consider because you said blue, or like you had your text and then you had like blue
1: orbs. So
0: I didn't even think about that, right? You know, like, An image
1: description you mean, yeah.
0: Exactly, and so I was just like, "Wow!" And so this is why I love having these types of conversations because my journey with accessibility has been focused solely, for the time being, on size and color and economics. And you know, I teach mostly online for the reasons that you articulated. Um, yeah. I didn't even think about like the description that you offered. So tell us a little bit more about what accessibility means writ large, and just how we yeah. can talk about
1: that. Yeah, it's a great point. And sadly, this video actually isn't being captioned as we're sharing right now, but maybe what you could do is when we post a replay, there may be ways to um, do automated captioning now through Instagram. So one of the things I think what you're asking me is to look at um, universal design, which is a kind of a whole philosophy of life, which is that rather than expecting people with disabilities to adapt to a situation, we could actually look at how society can make the world, can become more inclusive to everybody. Right. So it's taking, taking the, um, a different perspective on disability. Right now, we tend to use what, what's called a medical model of disability, which means that we look at disability and difference in general as a problem to be solved. And often in yoga, you see disability as something we need to fix or heal. And that's actually quite dangerous because it means that disability is wrong and bad different body sizes wrong. Like you need to be thinner or or younger or more flexible. And that's just not true. Right. Um, And so instead a different approach, like a cultural model of disability is more looking at disability as any other kind of diversity, like, like just like being a person of color or a gay person or trans, whatever. You can also have a disability and have proud around that pride around that. And I think that's, it's a much more um, welcoming approach to, the diversity of humankind—that we each have our own way. Actually, most of us will become disabled uh, or become older, and then you know we're all going to die. So, <laughs> imagining or you know, pretending that there's like a, um, a, a better way to have a body, right? Like there's a a, a perfect being that we're trying to become in yoga practice is very dangerous. Right, And it really feeds on ableism. So ableism is really what we're talking about here, which is discrimination right. against people with disabilities, just like every other form of white supremacy that we know about. Ableism is pervasive and often invisible to us because it's just ingrained. It's like, right, it's culture that we just breathe in without really thinking. Right. And it's so, it's so pervasive in yoga culture. Uh, the idea of fixing the body, making it better or improving it, rather than actually just being whole realizing we are whole we're perfect we're fine and connecting with that it's, it's a different approach yeah
0: I mean I, I didn't really I mean this is the, the beauty of like my yoga practice now is that everything teaches me so your caption taught me um yeah. I'm healing a uh, severely sprained ankle so I really yeah. I walk for um two weeks which in general is not and I'm a huge person so like that adjustment um, was a challenge for me which was a good yeah. challenge because like yeah. the place where I teach um, they had put all of this mulch in the um, accessible parking uh, slots but mm. I, I was like like of all the days like I can't yeah. oh my but yeah. I did, but you don't think about that until you're presented with the opportunity to learn right so I appreciate yeah. the, the way that you talked about it as not only a cultural shift, but a cultural celebration. Like we are whole human beings who should love each other as whole human beings, not be like, oh you'd be cuter if X or you'd be cuter if Y. Yeah. Like nobody got time for that. Like that's not, no. that's not very yogic, is it?
1: No, and and the way we teach, I mean I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but sure. I spend a lot kind of examining the 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 process of teaching and how we we often in yoga, we think it's our job to make people better, change them, fix them, and like that's a really dangerous way to come into that relationship of teacher-student. And I think right. we really need to re-examine that relationship and look at how we can shift the power and help students become empowered rather than or just share power with them, right? Because right. even, even the word empowered, a friend of mine, Rachel knows she always corrects me. It's not about empowering people, right? It's just sharing power, like giving right. them the power in that, in that relationship. So for me, when I'm teaching yoga, it's more just like saying, okay, you already know this in your body. How can you rediscover this, right? How can you right. reconnect? Yeah. Yeah, I
0: love that too, because um, one of the blessings of the pandemic, if it can be said this way, is that through my teaching online, um, I had to work on my verbal cues. Yeah, I had to change my language and I had to change the way that I taught as opposed to in person. So in most of the classes I teach, um, I offer like general cues and warmups in community. And then at the end, I'm like, what is your body needing? Yeah. Then do it. Yeah. I'm like, huh? I'm like, yeah, what do you need? Like, what do you need? If you need to go like this for 30 seconds, go for it. Like if you need yeah. to like, lay on your back or on your side, go for it. And right. that's somewhat revolutionary. Um, because most teachers think that they have to have a sequence then a sequence then a sequence then a thing and a thing and a thing, as opposed to being like okay we 're warmed up, our energy 's good now, yeah. how can we explore our physicality today or our minds today, and or more importantly our breath today
1: right because I always ask what what does it mean to be advanced in yoga yeah you know and and if we admit to ourselves that Physically advanced asana really isn't the goal. I mean, it's fun. Asana is fun and it's very effective, (laughs) but physically advanced ones aren't actually better than others. And an adapted form is actually just as valuable as a, quote, full expression. There's There's really no extra benefit to doing it a particular way. The benefit comes from doing what's appropriate, what's safe and effective for you. And actually, to me, what's advanced in yoga is increased interception. So like you're saying, like what you offered your students to say, what do you feel like right now? The ability to know what your body wants or needs in any moment is what I consider an advanced yoga practitioner, right? And so you're actually teaching them yoga, I would say. But when you say that to someone, what do you need right now? That's actually them. It's like, I can give you some skills, like I'll give you basic tools, but then eventually you need to, to... Build something with those tools, right? Like, don't just copy me. Right. I often, I often equate yoga to an art. Like, my background is in art, actually. And so I say, like, you can copy great painters. Like, that's one way of, of becoming an artist. Like, I can paint a Da Vinci or right. whatever, or, or can try or a Van Gogh. <laughs> but eventually, <laughs> to be an artist, I actually just need to learn the skills and then paint my own. Right, my own, my own beautiful image based on what I need at that moment. What I, what the expression of my spirit. Right, that's what to me. That's what yoga really is. It's an expression of your personal spirit, not just copying what your teacher said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent a lot of time working with teachers on that, like how to like re, kind of reset that relationship with the student, and right. what kind of words we use when we're teaching. Also, really looking at how to make different variations, equally valuable in a yoga space. Right. Chair yoga, bed yoga, imagining in your mind, also how to create integrated classes where people of all different abilities can practice together and not feel like any less than or better than another. I feel like that's how we address um, ableism in yoga is by creating truly integrated yoga spaces and online is often better.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Two things I'll share is that um, We um, we both know, because just because she left this form doesn't mean I don't know and love her. Talia Thomas, like, one of yes. the may she rest in power. God, I still yes. can't believe that. Sure. But um, mm. you taught a chair yoga sequence during the movement that changed my life. I was just like, I, uh-huh. I know that it was possible. Like, able-bodied dude in a chair is just like, this is amazing. So just the uh-huh. fullness that you offered with that basic uh, on- thing. My mind as a teacher because mm. i was and i started using so you should know this because teachers don't tell enough teachers like <laughs> killing it so like that sequence for me because i teach um activists and members of congress and those sorts yeah. of and they don't have time to be like oh just take out your mat so right. i have 15 minutes of your time so what can i teach you where you yeah to be effective and more peaceful. So your chair yoga sequence, Giovanna, just blew my mind. So thank Wow, you. thank you so much. No, thank for, you. Thank you. I was just there, like, like the entire time, looking at my computer, just like, and then this. <laughs> and you were just so peaceful and calm, and, and then trying to be soft and soothing. So thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll totally embarrass you and throw all the flowers away. I am
1: embarrassed. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much. Well, I hope that it's useful for your work. I mean, I'm so excited that it helps an activist. And, the idea of members of Congress doing chair yoga makes me happy, but you know it's great for meditators. I have to say, chair yoga is perfect. Anyone who's busy or thinks, "Oh, I'm not really a yoga practitioner," you know, I just want to move around a bit. Right. You know, there's so many things you can do, um, just to be more in your body, just to to stop. You know, it's like either for emotional reasons or trauma, or whatever. We just leave the body, right? We just wow. are separate yeah. and. It's so amazing, like I just read this article today, there's research about how certain mental health challenges may be connected to a lack of interoception, but that like diagnosed disabilities like um, schizophrenia and other ones, they actually showing that people with those um, challenges might have less connection to what's happening in the body. And I thought, well, that's so interesting because that's kind of what we all experience, right? We all experience different levels of disembodiment and yoga is this amazing tool that sometimes we can't even handle it, but it takes us back, you know, right, right to where we are right now. Right. Into this moment,
0: you know? Right. And I am, um, another thing I'll share is that I am, um, one of the blessings of my teaching practice is that like, I've been like thrown into situations and because of like yogic presence, I'm like, oh, this is happening now. So rather than freaking out, I'm like, Oh, so I was teaching yoga at Netroots Nation, asana at Network. And I'm trying to change that because yoga is the practice. Asana is a limb. We all know that. Yeah, yeah. I was teaching asana at Netroots Nation. And Mm. everything in the class, Javon, I had everything. And then it changed. So I had a brother who just had um, hip replacement surgery. I had another and who walked in doing splits, right? So like she was in the class, then brother who was just like, my, my doctor said I should take yoga. And I was like, and this is your first class? <laughs> and then the best <laughs> thing of it all is that a sister rolled in in her wheelchair. So yeah. like, I heard that this was like yoga for all. And I'm like, hmm. So the best thing that, I, so I was, eight, I was like, okay, so you do this and then you do this. So it was like a Mysore experience. And then for the sister in the chair, I was just like, can you just go like this? Uh-huh. Get into your
1: shoulder.
0: Get into your breath. And so at the end she was like, No one's ever treated me like a full person. I was like, wow. you know, all of that was just explosive for me and I didn't have any planning for it. So like yeah. That's
1: that was, it. Right. That's like the best for me, like when you say that it just makes me excited. Honestly. It just makes me excited. Like I'm just like, ooh, that's yoga. Like that those are the classes that I live for. You know, like to have a really diverse group of people. Why, why do we continue to segregate people in yoga? It's like, we, we think it's okay. Like this is where people who are in wheelchairs will go. And this is where people who are, who are really athletic will go. It just, it, it hurts my heart. I just feel like, you know, yoga is supposed to be about connecting and bringing people together. And we don't do that in the yoga studios. We don't do it even nope. on yoga online. We're always practicing separately. There's such a competitiveness and separation that to me really reflects a lack of understanding of the basic teachings. It's purely unnecessary.
0: What I what I'll do is like I'll I'll eat. So I I t- of course I took a picture at the end of that class because like I can't believe this shit just. So like I'll send you a picture because it is the most beautiful. Like everyone, yeah. pissed out from like the different things that I had to throw yeah. in at the last minute.
1: So that that to me was like accessible yoga one on one. Can um, I give you a I'll give you a tip right now. The, the, yeah. the- I I mean, basically, I run a whole training, and this is probably the most important thing I tell people, which is if you're a teacher and you want to teach a mixed group, one of the things you can do is you can separate the practice, separate an asana into two things. One is the preparation of a pose separate from the practice. And if you Uh can set people up separately, so like, say I have a person sitting in in a chair practicing, someone on a mat practicing... I will set them up separately, like, okay, for this practice, you're going to start with your legs like this. And on the mat, you're going to start with your legs like this. But then together, we're going to practice like this. We're all going to come in and do like the energetic piece, the breath or whatever it is, we'll practice together. And that creates a a situation where it's not like, okay, in the chair, you're doing this on the mat, you're doing that. Where it's like, it feels like two different things. Right. You find some cohesive experience that unites the group. And I feel like that is just so powerful to be able to Tell them, yeah, you're practicing together, you know. Right, like at the same helpful.
0: time in unison, like that. Thank you for that. See, there you go, blowing <laughs> my mind again. So thank you for that. <laughs> so what? So tell me, as as we wind towards the end, like where do so what has changed over the course of your career with with respect to accessibility? Has it gotten better? If so, how? And then the second part of that, the corollary, of their course, is what what do we need to do to, to be better?
1: Mm. That's a good question. I mean, I continue to learn from my students and colleagues. I mean, I see some people on here that are great yoga teachers who I know and people I've worked with. And I, I would just say that um, always being a student is the key. Like, everyone I meet, I'm going to learn something from them around accessibility. It's like a never-ending journey. You cannot have 100% accessibility ever. Right. There's no space that would make everyone comfortable. It's not possible because there can be conflicting needs within one room. Yeah but you can shift the energy and focus a different way. You can listen to people and be open. That's what I try to do is like, listen and be open. And also at the same time, be able to speak my truth. So I don't know. It's just, um, I think what's changed for me is that I'm more comfortable speaking my truth and also listening to others at the same time. And those are two things that can exist together. Also, I guess one other thought is just that, what we started with, I continue to go back to the fact that the yoga teachings speak to accessibility and equity directly, that these ancient, this ancient philosophy of thousands of years old is all about connection and equity and truth. And the fact is the teachings say that every person shares the same spirit, no matter how our body and mind is formed, right? We have totally different experiences, right. totally different bodies, different minds. That's where the diversity is, but deep in the heart, we're the same. And I think being able to hold those two things is essential. The fact that we're the same and totally different. Right. Right. That both are true. And to respect
0: as they are from an open, compassionate space without judgment, or as you said earlier, I got to fix this. Well, first of all, you can't. And second of all, even if you could, why? Yeah. Right.
1: You don't need to fix people at all.
0: So what can people do to change and their frame or habits or norms with respect to accessibility. You talked a little bit about this with respect to, we're all the same yet different. So embracing that and living that quality, yeah. um, what else could people do um, to
1: if yeah. focus on accessibility? I, I would say for for yoga teachers, especially, to let, to let go of that fixing mindset and changing. So as the, uh, from a teacher perspective, that's really, really important that when someone comes to you, see them as whole already. Mm-hmm start from there, start from there. You don't, you don't need to, you're not better than them and you don't need to fix them. Even if they're, if they're coming to you saying, please help me, you still see their fullness. And I would say for yoga practitioners, it's that, to, to really be, start to see yourself as full, whole and complete and, and, and really work with your mind and see that the, the limitations that you're setting are internal ideas about yourself that may have been given to you from society we're all struggling and that's fine, but um, again, it's it's holding the two opposites within us, right? That we're perfect and we need to change. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Separate yet connected, right, both. Yeah, I hope that made any sense, but thank <laughs> you for understanding. Uh, Yeah, it's great talking to you. And I mean, I'm so I'm so excited that you're going to be speaking at our conference, like you're doing the work, like to me, you know, being an activist, and doing it in a way that is respectful, kind and loving. That's it. That's like the most beautiful thing in the world, honestly. So thank you so much for your work. And Come- and you're speaking at our conference in October, so hopefully people will come.
0: <laughs> yeah, so October, Accessible Yoga. So give us the
1: website. And before we
0: go, of course, tell me about this yoga revolution, child. What's the deal with yeah. the
1: revolution? So I, have, so, so I wrote a book called Accessible Yoga that's really about adapting the practice. And I have a new book coming out in November called Yoga Revolution. and It's actually about what, more what we're talking about today. Yoga Revolution is really about um, yoga philosophy and understanding that yoga is a revolutionary philosophy. I'm not I'm not trying to change it. I'm saying it is revolutionary. It's about an inner revolution, right? Changing the way we think and live, but also it's an outer revolution. It changes the way we are in the world. Right. And that's it. I want to talk about that yoga as social justice and equity and accessibility, all these things, the things you're doing, you're doing it. You're already the yoga revolution. So I'm just trying to share more about that.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Do you have any other closing thoughts for us?
1: Just thank you. Thanks anyone who's watching, and and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Own Practice, and I hope to see you all around. Oh, and you can find about the conference at AccessibleYoga.org or at AccessibleYoga on Instagram. Uh, You can find out more there. And and come see Reggie October 14th through 17th. We'll be having an amazing event.
0: Yeah.
1: Thank you. I see so many people I love. Thank you all. Okay. thank you, Reggie. Love and grace. Bye.